0: wednesday march 20th 2013 episode number 42 of the football nation today podcast with alex streamer on footballnation.com welcome inside episode number 42. Football Nation Today podcast hosted by yours truly, Alex Reamer, published every Wednesday on FootballNation.com. And for your downloading convenience in the iTunes store, please subscribe to the Football Nation Today podcast in the iTunes store if you have yet to do so. We are more than one week in to NFL free agency, and my oh my, what a week of action it has been. That's where we'll focus our time in the first down segment, talking about the biggest news from the past week. And, of course, one of the bigger stories, the Patriots and Wes Welker. Welker signs with the Broncos for two years, $12 million. Patriots sign Danny Amendola to a five-year contract with $10 million guaranteed. A lot of controversy, a lot of discussion about how things went down between the Patriots and Wes Welker. So much so that Patriots team owner Robert Kraft addressed the media in specific detail about the contract negotiations between the Patriots. And Walker's representatives. So we'll talk about that story. Give you my take on how things went down. And also ask this question. As we near the end of Tom Brady's prime. Are the Patriots doing all they can to maximize their championship window? Also in the first down segment, looking at the other big stories from free agency. Including the arms race out west. The 49ers and Seahawks continue to make moves. Terrific rivalry brewing there. The Buccaneers have made a big addition this offseason to their secondary Signing safety to Sean Goldson. And if you're to believe the rumors, they could be on the cusp of making another one. We'll tell you about that and how that could change the landscape in the offense-heavy NFC South. Uh, so the Vikings trade out Percy Harvin for Greg Jennings. I'll give you my quick thoughts on the moves the Vikings have made, trying to replicate uh, a postseason year and trying to get to the playoffs for two consecutive seasons. And we'll also talk about some other quick notes from around free agency as well. Then in the second down segment... Looking at the biggest off-field NFL story of the past week, and this week, of course, right now, as we speak, the owners' meetings are going on in Arizona. The NFL proposing to make a couple of rule changes, the tuck rule, and this has generated a lot of conversation. It would now be illegal for running backs to lower their heads. It's another measure meant to protect players' safety, but have they gone too far this time? Because now, well, the offensive players are under attack. It's not just the defensive guys. Then in the third down segment, it's the big upside down segment debating stories such as Elvis Doomerville and his agent couldn't restructure their contract in time with the Broncos. They agreed to a deal, but then Doomerville's agent failed to fax in the contract in time, so the Broncos had to release Elvis Doomerville, and Doomerville is out $8 bucks for next season. Broncos have to take a $3 million cap hit, but it's a very strange story. Is there more to the story than the eye, than the eye sees? We'll briefly talk about that. Also, the Ravens, defending Super Bowl champion Ravens, may have gutted their roster, but damn it, they're still the defending champions. And like defending champions of years past, they want to open up the season at home in prime time. But as of now, they won't be able to because of a scheduling conflict with the Orioles. Who's in the right? Who's in the wrong there? And Roger Goodell finally spoke this week at the owners' meetings about teams questioning players about their sexual orientation at the Combine. Goodell said it is unacceptable... For teams to do that, but did the commissioner go far enough? Then the fourth down segment, it is the Reamer rant. Bit of a different take on the segment this week. Figured you would have heard enough of my voice by the time the show is nearing its conclusion today. So, I'm going to play you Mike Francesa's voice. You know Mike Francesa, formerly a Mike in the Mad Dog, now mic'd up on Sports Radio 66, WFAN New York. Yeah, yeah you know Mike Francesa, the sports pope as he's called. Well... The sports pope decided to give you the unfiltered play-by-play of the papal conclave last week at the Vatican. Sports pope announcing the real, announcing the introduction of the real pope. Um, and to say it is monotonous uh, doesn't even begin to do the hilarious clip justice. So if you t- stay tuned till the end of the show, you will not regret it. I'll just tell you that it's Football Nation today, episode number 42. My name is Alex Reamer. We'll be right back. So welcome back, Football Nation today, episode number forty-two. As I said in the opening, NFL free agency now more than a week old, and the biggest news, or one of the bigger stories, has been the Patriots and Wes Welker. Mid last week, Wes Welker signed with the Denver Broncos' two-year, twelve million dollar deal. All that money is guaranteed. Patriots then go out and sign slot receiver Danny Amendola to a five-year contract worth thirty-one million dollars overall, but ten million guaranteed there, and of course the guaranteed money is really what's important in the NFL, everything else is just kind of extra, so it's all about the guaranteed money Walker gets $12 million guaranteed from Denver, Amendola gets $10 million guaranteed from New England, now there's been a lot of conversation about how these negotiations went down, so much conversation in fact, the Patriots owner Robert Kraft took it upon himself to address the NFL media at the owners meetings Monday afternoon, and Kraft went into specific detail about some of the aspects of the negotiations between the Patriots and Walker's representatives, I'll read you a fairly long excerpt, not that long, now, it's only about two paragraphs of Kraft's explanation, then we'll riff off that. Uh, Robert Kraft said this about the negotiations between the Patriots and Walker, quote, in Wes's case, we were willing to go to what we considered above his market value. For a couple of years, we tried to get a long-term deal done with him. We couldn't do a deal, and we wound up franchising him at a very high number, $9.5 million, which is what Walker played for last year, 2012. In retrospect, I wish we could have wrapped that into an arrangement where it was part of a longer-term deal. But I really believe in this case, his agents misrepresented, in their mind, what his market value was. When you come right down to the bottom line, he accepted a deal in Denver, which is less money than what we offered him. In fact, he has a one-year deal in Denver for $6 million. Our last offer, before we would have even gone up, and before we thought we were going into free agency, was a $10 million offer with incentives that would have earned him another $6 million if he performed the way he had the previous two seasons. But in Denver, he's going to count $4 million against the cap this upcoming year and $8 million against the cap the second year. There is no guarantee that he plays a second year there. He will get $6 million the first year. Our deal, he would have gotten $8 million the first year, our last offer to him. So, in fact, Kraft continues, our offer was better than what, in fact, he got from Denver. I'm just really sad about that. Everyone in the organization, including our head coach, I sat in a number of meetings. We had discussed this very carefully. Just to clear up any misconception, we wanted Wes back. Okay, then. That's Robert Kraft, Patriots owner. Setting the record straight, or at least telling his side of the story. Because yesterday, Tuesday, Welker's representatives released a statement in which they said the Patriots' offer of two years' $10 million was final. And they were not willing to negotiate with their client, Wes Welker. And they say they admire the Patriots' organization and Robert Kraft. It was a very nice, very uh, very cordial uh, message. But yet, Welker's representatives say that the Patriots, in fact, were not willing to negotiate with welker so there's a lot of spin on both sides what we know is this the patriots offered west welker a two-year 10 million dollar deal prior to the start of free agency welker's agents there's agent in this case david dunn insisted on an above market uh insisted that welker had value greater than what the patriots thought and in fact welker's representatives as Kraft said misrepresented the market reports leaked out late last week Welker's agent, David Dunn, was looking for a three-year, $24 million offer from the Patriots. Obviously, he was way off the market. Two years, $10 million. The Patriots offered Wes was far more in line with his market value than the three years, $24 million. Welker's agent, David Dunn, wanted to get for him on the open market. So, it's obvious the Patriots nailed the market for Wes Welker. It is. Um, but what we also know is the same $10 million guaranteed they offered Welker... They turned around and gave to Amendola. The second free agency began at 4 o'clock Eastern last Tuesday. They were not willing to further entertain Welker in negotiations. And Bob Kraft can talk all he wants about the Denver offer and how the second year isn't really guaranteed. Well, it is if Welker gets injured, but if it isn't, he's correct. The Broncos can release Welker, and he does count $8 million against the cap next year, but... Let's also keep in mind, Kraft can talk about the $6 million in incentives the Patriots had, but according to some reports, those were unreachable incentives, or those were incentives that were more determined on how the Patriots utilized Walker than anything he could have done objectively on the field. So, you know, if, if Bob Kraft is going to talk about the Patriots' $6 million in incentives and include that as part of his argument, uh, I don't know if it's fair to then look at the Denver ar- ar- offer and try to point uh, you know, point at holes in that. So, for the intensive purposes of this discussion— Welker signs with Denver, two years twelve million guaranteed. Patriots are offering Welker, two years ten million guaranteed. And as I said, it's difficult to sort through the timeline, so we'll stop doing that. but I just want to give you guys the general the general gist, if you will, of what has been going on here over the past week. Ah uh, basically, here's my interpretation of it. The Patriots never wanted to really extend themselves for Welker. He signed a five year, million contract in 2007 and was woefully underpaid throughout the duration of that contract. And the Patriots never approached Welker about a new deal. They never said to Wes Welker, hey, You've done all we've asked of you and then some. I know you have two years left on this contract, three years left on this contract, but you're woefully underpaid. You're playing at well below your market value. Let's rip it up, sign you to another long-term extension, and keep you in a Patriot uniform for a really long time. The Patriots never approached Wes Welker about that. They took him to the wall. They took him for every penny. And Welker didn't, never held out either. You know, So Welker wasn't perfect in this. You know, Welker should have held out prior to 2011, as he was entering the final year of his deal. And, of course, he was franchised in 2012, signed the tender, and played for $9.5 million. But Welker never held out. And in retrospect, maybe he should have, if he wanted to force the Patriots' hand and get paid. But he didn't. So the Patriots franchised him prior to 2012. Welker signed the tender, surrendering all leverage. As it turns out, playing for nine and a half million last year and six million dollars the next two seasons guaranteed, Walker will get three years. 24 we'll get twenty-one million dollars over the next three years. Uh, but if he held out in 2011, let's say, uh, he probably could have gotten more than that, no doubt about it. But he didn't, and you know, again, it's totally within the rules for the Patriots to make Walker play out his entire five-year contract at well below market value—the five-year, eighteen million-dollar deal. It's perfectly within the rules for the Patriots to do that. But if the Patriots didn't want to risk losing Welker, as Robert Kraft said, everyone wanted West back. Well, if that was really the case, they would have signed him to an extension two years ago. They wouldn't have taken it this far. They wouldn't have let it go this close to free agency. But they took Welker for everything he was worth made him play out that contract, so thus in negotiations, Walker and his representatives took the Patriots for everything they were worth. And again, if you were to believe the reports, Patriots were offering Walker two years, 10 million guaranteed. Walker's agent countered with a three-year deal in the vicinity of $24 million. Obviously, the Patriots nailed the market and good for them. But once free agency hit, the Patriots didn't try to further negotiate with Walker, knowing where the market was. They said, oh, you're not gonna take our offer. We're moving on to Plan B, who in this case was Danny Amendola. They gave Amendola the same $10 million guaranteed they were offering Welker. So the Patriots wanted Welker, but Robert Kraft forgot to say in his address to the media this week is they wanted him at their price. They were not willing to go above their figure to go above their figure. Excuse me. Yeah, three years twenty-four million dollars in retrospect, was an absurd demand. But in a negotiation, the two sides try to meet in the middle. And the Patriots weren't willing to meet Welker in the middle. They weren't willing to wait for him to come down to their asking price because, again, they nailed the market. No. They wanted $10 million to allocate to a slot receiver. And once it became apparent Welker wanted more, as it turns out, he only signed for $2 million more. They moved on to plan B. They would rather let a guy walk than, overplay, than overpay for a player. It's all about winning the negotiation. I mean, would it have been the worst thing in the world if the Patriots overpaid a little bit for Wes Walker? Would that have been so bad? What if they signed him to a two-year $14 million deal? A little above his market value. But would that have been the worst thing in the world? I don't think so. But because they weren't willing to negotiate once free agency hit and weren't willing to overpay maybe a little bit and compete with the Broncos for Welker's services, now they don't have Wes Welker. And instead they have Danny Amendola. Now people say the offense needs to change here. Well, my counter is, if the Patriots really felt that way, why did they give Walker an offer in the first place? You know, if they needed to get away from Wes Walker. And if this is all part of the big master plan, which Robert Kraft did not say this week. He said they wanted him. They said Welker was their first priority. So if the Patriots really felt the offense needed to change so dramatically, why'd they even offer Welker a deal in the first place? Plus, Amendola has largely been a slot receiver in his career. He's not an outside-the-numbers option. Maybe the Patriots will use him in that capacity. But throughout his career, he's been a slot receiver. One who has missed, by the way, 20 games over the past two years. Whereas Welker, of course, has only missed three games over the past six years with the Patriots. And also, here's the second part of the equation Why couldn't the offense have changed with Welker still aboard? He caught 118 balls last year and is Brady's favorite target. Wes Welker has not been a detriment to this team. And will be a better player over the next two years than Danny Amendola will be. And that's the point. Tom Brady will be 36 years old in August. The Patriots are heading towards the end of their championship window with him as their quarterback. The Patriots will still be a great team next year. They'll still win 12 or 13 games. They'll crush through the joke that is the AFC East. They'll have a first-round bye. They'll have a home playoff game. They'll waltz right into the AFC title game once again. Because the rest of the AFC sucks. And the AFC East especially sucks. The Patriots will be great again next season. No doubt about that. But will they be Super Bowl great? That's what the goal is. And what happened here is the Patriots took away the shirt sure thing, Welker, and are replacing him with an unknown commodity, Danny Amendola. It's about maximizing the championship window. And the Patriots didn't do that with this move. The same can be said for releasing Brandon Lloyd. They didn't want to pay the $3 million signing bonus to Lloyd, so They released him last weekend. Lloyd had 74 receptions last season and 911 yards. They replaced Lloyd with Donald Jones from Buffalo who caught 41 balls in 12 games last season with the Bills. On paper, you sub in Amendola for Welker, Donald Jones for Lloyd. On paper, is this offense better or worse in terms of personnel? It's worse for the short term. And that's what this should be about. The Patriots should be trying to do all they can to win another one in this championship window. Maximize your championship window. In these moves, Amendola for Welker, Jones for Lloyd, not maximizing the championship window. And now, for this offense to be all it can be, they have to hope for Aaron Hernandez and Rob Gronkowski to be healthy for a full season and postseason, something neither of those two has done in any prior, in any previous year in their careers. So, the offense on paper has gotten worse from a season ago. And I still contend the offense wasn't the problem with this team. They led the league in points scored last season. Yeah, the Ravens shut them down in the AFC title game. The Giants shut them down in the Super Bowl two years ago. The Jets shut them down the year prior to that. Super Bowl 42 in 2007, the best statistical offense in NFL history, only scored 14 points. Yeah, that's all true. But that's true of any team. No team scores 30 points on their way to a Super Bowl championship. It doesn't happen. Even in today's NFL, come January, defense still plays a major factor. No team scores 30 points on their way to a title. You got to win the 17 to 14 game. You got to win at least one game on your way to a championship with your defense. So the Patriots. This year on offense, replace known commodities with unknown commodities for next season. In five years, will Amendola be better than Walker? He better be. He's 27. Walker's 32. Donald Jones, same thing. Much younger than Brandon Lloyd. But this isn't about five years from now. This isn't about building the next great Patriots team. There already was a great Patriots team here. One that had knocked on the door of a championship the past two seasons. Don't have that much time left with Tom Brady. And it's a shame that as of this recording, it doesn't appear as if the Patriots are maximizing their championship window. Now the defense does look to be slightly improved. They brought back Aqib Dalib for one year, $5 million. Again, the Patriots nailed the market. Good for them. Bob Kraft can thump his chest at the owners' meetings for nailing the market on Tlaib. They didn't offer him the franchise tag. They waited for him to hit free agency, knew the market for corners would be down. And what not you know, it was down. And they got Tlaib for a very team-friendly one-year, $5 million deal. They signed young corner Kyle Arrington to a four-year contract, put him in the slot. They brought in safety Adrian Wilson from Arizona, but Wilson's not getting starter money. He's getting compete-for-age spot on the roster money, only receiving $1 million for three years, Wilson did. So with that kind of money, it leads you to believe Adrian Wilson is not a lock to make this team. He's 33, soon to be 34 years old, Wilson is. And I haven't watched every Arizona Cardinal game over the past couple years. I don't know how much Wilson can still play. I know he was great five years ago. He did have three sacks last season, so it appears he can still get to the quarterback. He'll be up in the box playing the run. He'll maybe add more pressure to the quarterback. I like the name Adrian Wilson. But at 33, 34 years old, I don't know how much he has left. And I don't think the Patriots know either. Given the contract they gave him. Three years, one guaranteed million dollars. I mean, Deshaun Goldson's a guy who looks like Adrian Wilson in his prime. But of course, Goldson signed for an expensive five-year deal with the Buccaneers. Patriots shopping at Walmart, getting the deals, sign Adrian Wilson for the value. But who's going to be a better player this year, Wilson or Goldson? I think it's the latter. And who would have been the better guy to sign to maximize the championship window, Wilson or Goldson? I mean, Because that's the thing with the Patriots, too. We heard about all the cap room they had this year, $23 million of it, more. This was the year. Flat salary cap. Teams cutting players left and right. Everyone's up against the cap. Everyone's over the cap except the Patriots, because they do it right. Well, this offseason, all this cap space, and what do we get? We get a final two-year, $10 million offer to Welker. Once her agency hits, let's move on to Amendola. We don't want to pay Brandon Lloyd the $3 million signing bonus, so we're going to take a chance on a guy like Donald Jones, who played 12 games last year for Buffalo. Deshaun Goldson's out there. We need a hard-hitting safety beside Devin McCourty to play that strong safety. But Goldson's too pricey, so let's go down the ladder and get a guy like Adrian Wilson, throw him against the wall, see if he sticks. He's 33, 34 years old. Maybe he has something left. Maybe he doesn't. We'll see. Who cares? We got him at a good rate. We got good value on him, and that's what it's all about. Mm, not always. It's about bringing in players, too. And I don't know if the Patriots have brought in enough players this offseason to maximize the championship window they'll be good next year they'll be real good they'll be 12 13 wins good but will they be championship good they're not any closer to a title now than they were last week at this time at the start of free agency at least on paper so quickly i know very patriots heavy segment but had to get it off my chest been waiting for a week to rant and rave to you guys about that so, I thank you for bearing with me. Two few other quick stories around the NFL this week. The arms race out west is fantastic in the NFC. Seahawks and 49ers, we spoke about this last week at Sal Capaccio, sports radio host WGR in Buffalo, talking about Anquan Bolden, Percy Harvin. Bolden goes to the Niners, Harvin goes to the Seahawks. Well, both teams now adding to their defense. The Seahawks acquire defensive end Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett. 49ers acquire Glenn Dorsey. They're visiting with Charles Woodson and Namdi Asamoah. The arm race, arms race out west continues to get better and better. Two great young quarterbacks, Colin Kaepernick, Russell Wilson. Great running backs, Frank Gore, Marshawn Lynch. Now receivers to make those offenses more dynamic. Great defenses already. And the 49ers add Glenn Dorsey up front. Seahawks add Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett up front. That's a terrific story. The arms race in the NFL. We talk about it in baseball all the time. In my Red Sox podcast without a curse about how A lot of the power in baseball seems to be shifting to the West Coast. Dodgers, Giants, of course, have won two of the past three titles. Angels, Rangers, and the American League both now riding monster new TV contracts. Well, in the NFL out West, 49ers and Seahawks spending a lot of money and owning the offseason headlines thus far. I talked about Deshaun Goldson a little earlier. To go back to Goldson, the Buccaneers did sign him. They're going to pair him with Mark Barron in the secondary. And if you're to believe the reports... The Buccaneers right now are front runners for Jets cornerback Darrell Revis, And what a secondary that would be, huh? Goldson and Barron. Reevas as your number one cornerback. NFC South, you have Matt Ryan and the high flying Falcons offense. You have Drew Brees and the High Flying Saints offense. You have Cam Newton and the Panthers always trying to become a more dynamic offensive attack. That's a division that's focused on offense, offense, offense. How do the Buccaneers counter that? Well. They have Mark Barron, a terrific young safety, bringing Deshaun Goldson, arguably the top safety on the market, and they may trade for the best corner on the market, and when healthy, I still think the best defensive player in the game today, Darrell Rivas. What a scary secondary that would be, if it all came to fruition. I like the Vikings trading Percy Harvin for Greg Jennings. Vikings traded Harvin to the Seahawks last week, which we discussed. Get a first-round draft pick, a seventh-round pick, and a middle-round pick for next season. They sign Jennings, give him $17 million guaranteed. By the way, I just don't understand the free agent market, I guess. Maybe I'm stupid. I don't know. But how is it that Mike Wallace is worth $30 million guaranteed? And a guy like Jennings is worth $17 million guaranteed. And a guy like Welker statistically, one of the most productive receivers in football the past six years is only worth $12 million guaranteed over two seasons. I don't get that. How is Mike Wallace worth more than double of what Welker's worth, and how is he worth way more than Jennings is worth? $30 million versus $17 million guaranteed. I don't get it. So I would love someone to drop me an email, send me a tweet, leave a comment on the show page even better. We can get some conversation going that way. Uh, please explain to me this NFL receiver market, because I just don't get it, but I do get what the Vikings did, I like what the Vikings did, I've made my, uh, I've said in the past, I have some trepidation about guys like Harvin, real fast, speedy, dynamic guys, really toolsy, makes us go wow, fills up the highlight reels, fantasy geeks love him, because he can run out of the backfield, play in the slot, play deep, oh, he can do it all, it's so exciting, I know. You know, Can't wait to draft him this year playing in that Seattle offense with Russell Wilson and what they're going to hope to do that next year. I know, very exciting. But Harvin was a pill. He was a headache. Greg Jennings is a professional and a damn good route runner, a great receiver when healthy. And he's only 29 or 30, Greg Jennings. I mean, he's not 34, 35, which is how some people talked about him this offseason. He should have a couple of real good years left in the tank. I like what the Vikings did in the process. They picked up a couple of draft picks, including an additional first-round pick this season. And the Ravens continue to make headlines, not for the players who they've signed, but for the players who they've let go, trading Anquan Bolden, Paul Cougar, Danelle Ellerby sign with uh, Cleveland and Miami, respectively. As this recording, still no word on Ed Reed, whether he will return to Baltimore last report was that Ed Reed was still in Houston visiting and entertaining an offer from the Texans. So we'll see. I mean, it's a down AFC North. The Steelers are in cap trouble. Uh, The Browns are the Browns, going through another coaching change there. The Bengals didn't have made the playoffs for two consecutive seasons, but they haven't necessarily improved all that much yet this offseason. So the Ravens could still back into the playoffs, but have they gotten better or worse? And John Harbaugh did say this week You have to change your roster. If you're not changing, you're getting worse, and I understand that. Just because you won a championship doesn't mean you want to leave the status to be quo. No, you want to make changes, want to keep bringing some new guys in the locker room. I get that, and I buy that. But do you have to, you know, tear apart your whole team? That seems like what the Ravens are doing now, and as I said before, you have to surround Joe Flacco with the best talent possible. You take away Bolden, your best possession receiver. Maybe the Ravens are going to use Ray Rice in the passing game more, and Ray Rice over time will become more of a possession receiver. And Bernard Pierce and some other guys will take a lot of the running back duties from him. Maybe that's the Ravens. Go- Maybe that's the way the Ravens go. Our Ravens fan. That's the way I would hope they would go because a Gallic like Flacco to me needs a good possession receiver. Maybe Ray Rice can- becomes that. And looking at it now, that might be the way they're going offensively because Bolden will be a really tough guy for them to replace. And last note, then we'll move on to the second-down segment. The Dolphins have improved this offseason on paper. Throwing money at Mike Wallace to now Ellerby. They re signed Brian Hartline. They bring in tight end Dustin Keller, a move that I love. That guy, like Ryan Tannehill, needs as much uh, dump-off options. Good route runners as possible. Hartline's that. Keller is certainly that at a tight end. He's had some big games against the Patriots with the Jets over the past couple seasons. Maybe really, that's because the Patriots you know, haven't really had a linebacker who can cover the pass for several years. But still... Hey, uh, yeah, Dolphins got to, to play the Patriots twice per year now in the AFC East, So I like the Keller move a lot, re-signing Hartline. Um, but an interesting thing with the Dolphins is they make all these moves. They sign Mike Wallace, a big, deep, down-the-field threat at receiver. And, of course, what do you need for the play down the field to develop? You need time. Your quarterback needs time in the pocket. He needs to be able to move around, wait for something to develop, 30, 40 yards in front of him. Well, Jake Long... I know he was overrated, I know he's overpaid, but still a pretty good left tackle. Signs with the St. Louis Rams this week. And now the Dolphins, if you read the reports out of Miami, are looking to play the turnstile Jonathan Martin at left tackle. So the Dolphins made a lot of flashy moves, Mike Wallace chief among them. But Ryan Tannehill, with Long leaving and replacing Long with Martin at left tackle, may not have the time back there to throw to Wallace down the field and wait for a big play to develop. So we will see. We will see about that. And also, I do want to say the Eagles with Chip Kelly. Interesting to follow the philosophy there. I love what they've done with their defense, bringing in safety Kenny Phillips, corner Kerry Williams from the Ravens, another loss for Baltimore, and Connor Barwin, six-year deal. I think a bit of an overpay for Barwin, but still a dynamic pass rusher on the outside at linebacker. I do like the moves the Eagles have made to, bolster their de- to uh, improve their defense. Excuse me. Moving on real quick to our second down segment. Talking about the biggest off-field NFL stories of the past week. You know what you want to quickly hit on here from the owners' meetings in beautiful Arizona. How would you like to live and be in Arizona right now if you're here in the Boston area? More snow end of March. Never-ending winter here. We got some good football hot stove to keep you warm here in the dog days of spring. All right. Uh, The NFL, first of all, let me just say, Has done the free agent thing perfectly. Kicked off at 4 p.m. on Tuesday. Owners meeting this week. NFL in the headlines. Two weeks solid. Right in the middle of basketball season, hockey season. Who gives a crap about those sports, right? Playoff chase in both of them. But doesn't matter. We got football to talk about. Really. I'm a big basketball fan. Bruins have been a big team the past several years. Very entertaining games there. Bruins-Penguins last week. Celtics-Heat this week. Monday, great game. But what's captivating captivating the sports audience? Football. In March going on April. And then we got the draft, which is another few weeks of hype and coverage. So the NFL has really taken over the early spring by moving the NFL free agency period to 4 p.m. on a Tuesday. So, nicely done. Now, NFL agents do say there is collusion going on amongst NFL owners to keep prices down on free agents. You know, the down market with corners. The down market with slot receivers, apparently. <laughs> Didn't know that was a big thing, but it is a thing. You look at what Welker, Amendola signed for, all those guys. Uh, down market with left tackles, with offensive linemen. Down market, down market. NFL agents say there's collusion amongst NFL owners to keep prices down on the free agents. There hasn't even been one stray owner this offseason. You said, to hell with the flat salary cap. I'm spending and finding to mate and finding it and trying to find it. Wait, let me try that again. I'm spending. And trying to make it work. There we go. It's just so unfathomable I could barely get it out. Because NFL owners always act in lockstep with each other. That was the problem with Jerry Jones and Dan Snyder when they tried to circumvent the uncapped ear and backloaded the cap hits to the uncapped ear. And it was perfectly within the rule book. NFL owners didn't like that. Hey, what do you mean? We're supposed to collude with each other. So I believe it. I totally believe it. When the agents say there's some collusion going on between NFL owners, trying to keep the prices down on players this offseason. Totally believe it, just like at some of the contracts that have been handed out. Um, two rule changes real quick the league is looking at this week at the owners' meetings. NFL taking a vote on the tuck rule. Robert Kraft said on Monday that he's going to abstain from voting <laughs> with the tuck rule, which I thought was really funny. Um and yeah, he should. Arguably played a—actually, a, inarguably, can't deny it, played a huge role. And the Patriots' first Super Bowl title in 2001, um, so that's interesting to see how that rule goes. I, 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 don't. I think it's kind of a silly rule to be honest with you, because I mean it's, it's, it's the ultimate subjective call. And also, quarterback has his arm going forward, of onto the ball. That's a fumble. I mean, what is that? Is trying to decipher the degree of his elbow? If it's this, if it's X degrees forward, it's a pass. If it's not X degrees forward, it's a fumble. It's way too subjective for me. So see what happens there. And also, the bigger one is, the NFL wants to ban runners from lowering their heads. Uh, Running backs, of course, to avoid big hits from safeties, linebackers, etc., have taken to lowering their heads and plowing through defensive players with their helmets. Trent Richardson of the Browns took a nasty hit last year, and this has prompted the league to try to change this rule, ban running backs lowering their heads. That would now be a penalty. A lot of backlash from across the league on this. A lot of players taking to Twitter and other social media platforms, uh, bemoaning this rule change. And I agree with those players here. I do. Now, I'm always a person who says, look, if you're going to bitch and moan about defensive changes, you know, oh, I can't hit with my helmet anymore. I can't knock a receiver out over the middle of the field. I say, hey, smarten up and change the way you tackle. Yeah, you don't, you can't lead with your helmet anymore. Sorry, or you can't hit a quarterback anywhere above the belly button anymore. Sucks, but true. That's reality. It isn't fair, but life isn't always fair. So change the way you play. The game is changing. The game is evolving. Coaches, coach differently. Players, play differently. That's the way it works. So generally, I'm not on the side of players with this. You know, I want to put flags on them while we're trying to protect your safety. So putting flags on them protects your safety, then eh. And can lead to having a productive life after football, then you should probably be in favor of that. But this, I will say, the league has gone too far. Let's talk about the tuck rule being subjective. This is even more subjective than the tuck rule, if you can believe that. I mean, how can you determine a running back lowering his head, what's too low, what's, you know, not low enough to get called for this penalty? Was it on purpose? Was it not on purpose? If it's not on purpose, are you still going to penalize him? I mean, if running back stands upright, he could get jacked up and have bones broken, legs broken, arms broken. You're going to see a lot more injured running backs this season in the NFL. Maybe not necessarily with head injuries or concussions, but with broken bones, which ...is a whole nother different... ...is a whole nother animal. It's a whole nother can of worms... ...because players have broken bones... ...they take painkillers... ...teams want to rush them back from injuries... ...they're all hyped up on painkillers... ...mixing painkillers... ...performance-enhancing drugs... ...is a lethal combination. Just ask wrestlers about that... ...and how they're dropping like flies... ...after they're done... ...from performing in professional wrestling. So... ...that opens up a whole nother can of worms. It's a dangerous game. And if you take this out of it... ...then you'll have... ...running backs with more broken bones. So... ...it's a tough rule to enforce... I think it'd open up an entirely different can of worms for the league, and as I said, I've said this in previous episodes, the NFL. It seems like they've done pretty much all they can in terms of making the rules, uh, you know, uh, you know, ma- making the rules accommodate player safety, trying to enforce player safety. It seems as if they've done all they can with that. I feel like the next possible step for the league is to eventually become a waiver sport. I think that's the only way they can go because I'm not sure how many more of these subjective rules they can make without completely changing the way, for real, players play, both on defense and now on offense. Third down segment it's the big up, slow down segment. I say a statement and then affirm my agreement or disagreement with that statement by saying, in a very scholarly manner, big up or slow down. Topic number one Elvis Doomerville fired his agent and hired Tom Condon. After his agent failed to fax in his restructured contract in time. Really. The Broncos and Doomerville had a deadline for Doomerville's restructured contract last Friday. And the deadline was approaching. Broncos and Doomerville finally agreed to a deal. Dumerville would receive an $8 million base salary in 2013. Saved the Broncos some money against the cap. So okay, we got a deal. Doomerville and his agent got a fax in the contract. 2 o'clock Eastern was the deadline. And the Broncos could did not receive the facts in time. It was stamped 206 Eastern Time. The deadline was two. So they had to release Doomerville and take a three million dollar salary cap hit. Big up or slow down. Story is so ridiculous. Is there more here than the eye can originally see? Generally, when it comes to stories like this, I'm saying, wait a minute. I mean, could Doomerville and his agent really be this stupid? Could they really be this inept? Would they not? Backs the contract in on timing mean, You read the reports, Duerville Was trying to complete his end of the deal At a Kinko's in Miami I mean, that's that's how teams do business Talked about last week with the Buddy Nick's phone call you know, you know, GMs play phone tag with each other, trying to complete trades. Is that really how business is done in the NFL, a multi-billion dollar enterprise? Well, same thing here. I mean, in a multi-billion dollar enterprise, millions upon million dollars at stake with these contracts. You have players, all pro-caliber players like Elvis Dumerville, standing at a Kinkos somewhere in Miami, looking to fax in his end of the restructured deal to Denver. I mean, really? That's how it works? So my original inclination is to say, oh, I smell a rat. But really? I don't. That's why I say slow down. No, this story is... You can take it at face value. Is it more than the eye can see here? Because both sides lose. Doomerville's agent looks incompetent, and he got fired. Uh, Doomerville looks incompetent as well and loses the $8 million base salary. He'll make less on the open market than he would have made in Denver. And the Broncos lose out too, because they lose Elvis Doomerville. And they take a $3 million cap hit, and he might not even play for them next season. So, all sides lose out here. Nobody wins. So... Even though nine times out of ten, as I say with these kind of stories, there's more than the eye can see. Uh, this is that rare case where that that is not true. No, I think uh, this story can safely be taken at face value. Second topic, make up or slow down. We talk about the Super Bowl champion Ravens. Though they are dismantling their roster, they're still the Super Bowl champions. The Super Bowl champion always plays at home on a Thursday night. But, The Ravens and Orioles have a scheduling conflict. Orioles and Ravens share a parking lot. Opening Thursday night of the season, Orioles have a night home game. Ravens want the Orioles to move the game. Orioles owner Peter Angelos is not budding. Is not budging, excuse me, yet. So big up or slow down. Should the Orioles move the game? I say big up. If you're Peter Angelos and the Orioles, move the game and make way for the defending Super Bowl champs. Play a day game. I mean, the Ravens said they would uh, reciprocate the Orioles financially. You know, they would make up for any lost profits the Orioles think they would would lose from, you know, moving it from a night game to a day game in September. So, the Ravens said they would make up the financial difference. They would reciprocate the Orioles in that manner. So, what's to lose for Baltimore? You're not going to lose any revenue. If you move the game, you gain some positive PR. Because right now the Orioles are getting slammed, and rightfully so, from a public relations perspective. Here in Boston, for example, the sports teams show unity. Bill Belichick hangs around; used to hang around with Terry Francona in spring training. You know, Doc Rivers, big fan of Belichick and the Patriot Way. Uh, the Bruins, here at Celtics games, and it, it, it's a great sports community here in Boston. It really is. And in Baltimore, you got the defending Super Bowl champion Orioles. The uh, Ravens, excuse me The Orioles wouldn't lose anything financially If they made this move the, Orioles said, the Ravens said they would pay him back Make up for the difference So big up, Orioles shouldn't move this game Doesn't reflect well on them at the moment Last question here Third down segment, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell Did finally speak About teams asking players at the Combine About their sexual orientation Goodell said it's unacceptable for teams to do that Pick up or slow down Did Goodell do enough here I say slow down. I mean, it's good he came out and affirmatively said it is unacceptable for teams to ask players about their sexual orientations. That's a good thing. But this is a man, and I go back to this point, who finds players because they don't wear their socks at the proper length. Finds players if they don't dress properly on their way to a game. Finds players for the most minute, seemingly insignificant things. When it comes to teams openly questioning players about their sexual orientation at the Combine, that's not worthy of any discipline. That's just worthy of a mild tongue lashing as a throwaway line at a press conference at the owners' meetings. I mean, this kind of thing is borderline illegal asking people about their sexual orientation. Goodell has to lead on this issue. And saying it's unacceptable, sure, it's a nice touch, it's a nice gesture. This is the most powerful man in sports. Arguably the most powerful man in sports. Shouldn't he be in a position to do more? I would think so. That's why I say slow down. I don't think it's enough. Closing out the show with our fourth down segment. It's the Remarant. I told you. Bit of different take on the Remarant this week. I do first got to say. I was watching ESPN a little earlier today. And the Heat of course beat the Celtics Monday night extend their regular season win streak to 23 games. Emphasis, of course, on regular season win streak. Ask the Patriots how much they cherish that 16-0 banner up at Gillette Stadium. Eh, they don't love it so much. It's a regular season win streak. Anything with the postseason. As you know, it's about championships. But I was watching them do a segment with Teddy Bruschi. An ESPN anchor asks Bruschi about the Heat's win streak and asks him what the Heat are thinking at this time. Hey, Teddy, Miami's won 23 straight. How do you think LeBron's going to approach his next game? I mean, what? You're asking Teddy Bruschi in the middle of an NFL segment about the Heat and LeBron's mindset? Bruschi, to his credit, played it off fairly well and tied it back to the Patriots in the 16-0 run in 2007, and about all that meant nothing without the title. But still, come on, ESPN. You're asking now your football analysts? About the Heat win streak? What are you going to do next? Ask Stephen A. Smith about the Blackhawks point streak? Oh, you already did that? Mm. all right. As I said, though, enough of my screeching. We're closing out the show this week with one of my favorite pieces of audio. It's about three minutes in length. I cut it down for you. We're going to instead give you the dulcet tones of Mike Francesa of WFEN New York, the sports pope, announcing the introduction Of the real Pope last week. It is something you absolutely do not want to miss. Because last week in New York. A lot going on in sports. NFL free agency. Now Knicks without Tyson Chandler. Carmel Anthony. Amari Stoudemire battling through injuries. Rangers fighting for their playoff lives. David Wright and the Mets. Got hurt in the World Baseball Classic last week. So they have that situation. Yankees trying to find somebody. Anybody to play first base. With DeShara out. So much to talk about in sports, and yet Mike Francesa dedicated pretty much an entire show last week to the Pope. And let's just say Mike Francesa <laughs> did not know what he was talking about—not in the least.
1: We have a Pope. So let's see what we let's see what we're up to. Uh, we have a Pope. Doesn't even look white. Is that white? I guess it is. Is that their version of white smoke? I guess it is. It looks kind of dark to me, but I guess it's their version of white smoke. Yeah, there it is. Now it looks a lot whiter. There you go. Okay. The favorite will be an Italian Pope. That would be the favorite. Okay. So they will make, there will be an announcement, and then eventually you will see the Pope arrive. But uh, there will be an announcement in the next couple of minutes or so as to who the pope will be okay and then you got to find out what his name will be what name he will take so the italian is the pope so the favorite is the pope it was the lead italian who is the next pope is that it was that the was that the? they just flashed scholar up there is that him well, uh they just put in, they just put Scholar up there. Did they was he they announcing he's the pope. They just put his picture up. Scholar, he's the he is the he was considered the favorite. He was the lead Italian. Was that just a picture of him that went up by accident? Was that I don't have the sound on. Was that a picture? Was that him? But they just put a picture of him up on uh on MSNBC. They just put a picture of Scholar up. This is who is this man? This is the senior cardinal? Okay. So he'll announce the name of the new pope. Tell me what it is. News of great joy. We have a pope. The the pope's name is cardinal. We get it first as cardinal and we get his name as a pope now. The cardinal from, this is it, the archbishop, well, he's an archbishop, though. Oh, uh, this is it, cardinal, this is the pope? From Buenos Aires? From Argentina, he, he's it? Is that it? So, Cardinal Jorge Mario Bergoglio, Bergoglio that's, he's the new pope? The cardinal from Argentina... Okay, so the cardinal from Argentina, 76-year-old pope. So they went They went for an older pope. Okay, so Cardinal... cardinal, Berge- how, You guys will tell me when they say it inside how you say his name. And then we'll find out what his papal name is. But the, basically the cardinal from Argentina... There might be two, I don't even know if there are two from Argentina. But the Cardinal from Argentina, the seventy-six-year-old uh, uh cardinal from Argentina is the new Pope.
0: So I hope you all enjoyed that Mike Francesa audio. My favorite is when he spreads <sighs> real deep into the mic. Cause the thing is, you know, it he doesn't allow his producers to talk on the air. So he's trying to decipher what they're saying into his headset and then interpret it and give you an interpretation of it. Yeah, you can't see the TV. Who is this man? Is it Scola, the Italian Pope? Oh, my God. And that's what you have to listen to in New York when you're driving home from work in the afternoon. But we love him. We love Mike Francesco. He's a legend. And when you can get played on nothing podcasts like this, you know you're a legend. Some things you do on your show become big news like that. But we thank you all for tuning in to Football Nation today, episode number 42. A lot of things. To talk about, as always, if you want to continue the conversation, leave a comment on our show page on footballnation.com. We always appreciate those. Us feel free to send me an email. areamer at bu.edu is my email address. And also follow me on Twitter if you feel so inclined. At alexreamer one is my Twitter name. Thank you, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll talk to you next on Football Nation today, next Wednesday.